Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Genesis chapter 36. Genesis chapter 36. And as you are making your way there, church family, just take this moment to pat yourself on the back because this Sunday marks the final Sunday in the book of Genesis together, okay? Amen? Ouch, that hurt, that hurt. You know, the, uh, the truth is, in uh, 2016, which if you want to go back that far in our podcast feed, you can listen to Genesis chapter 37 through 50, but this morning as we prepare our hearts to close out the book of Genesis, this is message number 53 in the book of Genesis together. And so uh, one of the things that we believe at North River Church, if you're new to North River Church, is that God's word from Genesis to Revelation has something to say to us as his people. And so we walk through books of the Bible. So prepare your hearts next week. We will dive into the book of Second Peter together as we continue walking through from Old Testament to New Testament, God's word together. I'm curious, have you ever had the check engine light come on in your car? Anybody have that happen this morning on the way to church? Good. I didn't want you to think it's church that caused that. How many of you, when the check engine light comes on, your first thought is, oh no, I got to figure out what's going wrong? Some of y'all are like, I'm waiting to figure out what your next statement's going to be, right? How many of you say, it's happened before, it'll happen again, let go, let God, right? Anybody else there? You know, it's interesting when the check engine light comes on in your car, the objective for you and for me is that it is telling us, pay attention, there's something wrong. Pay attention, be alert. There is a problem that exists, and if we look at the scriptures, one of the things that as we walk through, especially narrative passages of scripture, is that there are scriptures that are just that in our lives. They are a check engine, a warning light for us to pay attention to what's going on in the text and to make sure that you understand the caution the warning that is present there. As we look at Genesis chapter 36 this morning, I believe that's exactly what's happening in this text. On the surface, it's going to appear things are really going well for Esau and for his descendants. And yet beneath the surface, there is a huge problem at play. And so as we work through the text this morning, my hope and my prayer is that it would be a warning sign for us as followers of Jesus and that we would take very seriously what is the legacy that we are leaving behind us one day when we leave this earth. What is the legacy as a follower of Jesus that you are leaving behind? Because every one of us will leave a legacy behind us. The question is, 
Will it be a legacy worth having? Genesis chapter 36, I want to read verses 1 through 8 this morning. And as you look through the text, some of you will say, Pastor, you typically read it all, and I do. But for brevity's sake in the text, I just want you to know that these are generations, there are names that form, and if, if you're looking to, uh, to have a child and you need some help with names, Genesis chapter 36 may be where you want to spend time. We're just not going to do that this morning, okay? Genesis chapter 36, verses 1 through 8, these are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Oholibamah, the daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Basemath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And Adah bore to Esau Eliphaz, Basemath bore Ruel, Oholibamah bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir, Esau is Edom. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this first main idea that will frame our time together as we work through Genesis chapter 36, every follower of Jesus should desire to leave a godly legacy. Every follower of Jesus should desire to leave a godly legacy. I've told you this already, every single one of us will leave a legacy behind us when we die, when our family and friends and loved ones are standing by the casket, there will be in their mind a legacy that you have left. What will be that legacy and will it be a legacy that is worth having? See, what we're going to see in the text this morning is that Esau left behind himself a legacy. We're going to see in Genesis chapter 36 that Esau and his descendants are named and numbered, and we find out a lot of information about who they were and what they did. We find out a lot of information about the things that they were successful in, the things that they thrived in. And yet in Genesis chapter 36... Speaking of Esau and his descendants, at no point, at no point, is there any description of their relationship with God. 
In fact, I want you to notice in verses 1 through 8 as we read those that Esau and his descendants were fabulously wealthy materially. In fact, as we work through Esau and his descendants this morning, you're going to look and you're going to say, man, if, if the American dream existed then, they would have achieved the American dream. They would have had it all. They were fabulously wealthy. We see that in the latter part of those verses that we just read. They had so many possessions that they couldn't stay in the land that was promised to Jacob and his descendants, the promised land. They had to move away because they had so much in terms of material blessing. They were fabulously wealthy materially. And it doesn't just stop there. The text continues in verses 9 through verse 30. We see the generations of Esau laid out before us. And we see in that how they had interacted with the other tribes that were among them and and basically had assumed them into themselves and rose up to political positions of power in that land. Not only were they fabulously wealthy materially, but they were fabulously strong politically. They had chiefs and they had rulers that Esau's descendants would have been looked at and said, man, they are strong politically. But not only that, I want you to notice that in verses 31 through verse 43, that Esau and his descendants not only were fabulously wealthy materially, not only were fabulously strong politically, but they were fabulously successful militarily. I mean, if you look at what's described in chapter 36 and you hold it out to the American dream, you go, man, they arrived. The description there is that they had figured out how to conduct warfare in the area in which they lived, and they were able to conquer those who were around them. In chapter 36, on the surface, says Esau and his descendants had it all. Successful, financially prosperous, politically in charge. They had it all. Or did they? Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, said these words, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Let me ask you this question What will it profit you or your kids or your grandkids if they achieve the American dream? and yet don't know Jesus Christ. You see, parents, grandparents, oftentimes as we think about our dreams for our kids, it is wrapped up in 
them being successful, them being financially stable, them being well-respected in the community, them having a good job and not a crazy spouse, right? Kids that behave, that are well-managed. And yet the question before us is, is that all? Is that all that we desire for ourselves, for our kids, for our grandkids? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Esau and his descendants were fabulously wealthy materially, fabulously strong politically, fabulously successful militarily, but Esau and his descendants were tragically bankrupt spiritually and ultimately disappear from the face of history. I want you to know that that is in contrast, as we've seen with Jacob and his descendants. Remember, I told you last week, held up the Bible for you so that you could see that we're just at the beginning of history as it's playing out, salvation history, as God is moving and promising that his son would come through the lineage of Jacob and his descendants. But Esau, Jacob's twin brother, As we read the text here, as we look forward in the pages of history, we're reminded that they were tragically bankrupt spiritually. They had it all, but they had absolutely nothing that truly mattered. See, my concern for us as followers of Jesus this morning is that we will be so tempted to drift towards being successful in the world's eyes and desiring our kids to be successful in the world's eyes and desiring for our grandkids to be successful in the world's eyes and our concern for them to know and love Jesus is really small in the grand scheme of that. Esau and his descendants were tragically bankrupt spiritually. They had been close to the things of the Lord. His brother was the descendant that The promise was going to go through. The Messiah would ultimately come from Jacob's lineage. Esau was this close to it and totally missed it. Parents, grandparents, followers of Jesus, what legacy are you leaving behind? What legacy are you imparting to your kids and to your grandkids? And the question is, is it a legacy worth having? That's the question. As we think about Genesis chapter 36, that's the 
flashing red light on the dashboard of our life saying, pay attention and search your heart and allow the Lord to search your heart this morning and maybe expose that there is a problem from within that your heartbeat, your desire is more focused on how successful your kids and grandkids are than it is that they know Jesus and love him and serve him. So I just want to ask four questions this morning as we think about this text, as we think about what it means to live a godly legacy behind us one day when we draw our last breath. Here's question number one. Will you be known as someone with a growing personal relationship with Jesus? Maybe for you this morning, you've come in and you need to start at the beginning of that. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've not yet come to the point of recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and yet this morning is that recognition for you that if you are going to leave behind you a legacy that will last, can I share with you this morning, it will begin first in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the single most important thing in your life. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your wealth. It's more important than your kids. It's more important than your grandkids. The greatest decision that you could make is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Have you taken that step. You say, Pastor, I don't think I have taken that step. We would love nothing more than to come alongside you and help you as you take that step. But if you notice the statement there, a growing personal relationship with Jesus, it begins with first a relationship with Jesus, but is your relationship with Jesus actually growing? If you're a follower of Jesus, are you seeing in your life a growing relationship with God? You say, Pastor, how do I make sure that my relationship with the Lord is growing? Well, certainly one step is the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of reading God's word, of spending time in prayer. Those are disciplines in our lives that... Help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. And there's a number that I could list that help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. But can I simply remind you that your kids and your grandkids can very quickly tell whether you are growing in your relationship with the Lord or not. And so when they look at your life, would they say, my Grandmother, my grandfather, my mom, my dad, their relationship with God is growing. They're not perfect, but they are truly pursuing the Lord in their life. Growing relationship with Jesus. Are you noticing within your life as a follower of Jesus a depth and a maturity that is increasing the longer that you are walking 
with Jesus. One of the things as a pastor standing around a casket or meeting with a family who's lost a loved one, you know what's amazing? No one, no one talks about how wealthy their parent or grandparent was. Doesn't matter. No one talks about the fact that they were an incredible worker. You know what they talk about? They talk about their relationship with the Lord, or they don't. The greatest thing in your life as a follower of Jesus is your relationship with the Lord. Is it growing? Second question, will you be known as someone with a firm commitment to Jesus's church? You say, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that. You want people to come to church. You've got a vested interest in this, pastor. My interest in this goes far beyond North River Church. My interest in this goes to your soul and your walk with Jesus. Are you committed to his church? Are you committed to being present here. You say, hang on just a second. Are you telling me I need to come to church? Well, yeah. If you're going to walk with Jesus, part of that is being connected to his church. He calls it his bride, that he laid his life down for his church. And for us as followers of Jesus, one of the greatest legacies that we can leave to our kids and to our grandkids is a heart and a commitment for the local church. Your kids and your grandkids need to know you love the church. They need to know that you are passionate about God's church. They need to know that you are committed to be here as often as you can. You know, it's interesting, I read this past week the statistic that they have shifted the way they measure commitment to the local church in terms of attendance patterns. It used to be that if you came to church three or four times a month, that you were considered consistent or committed. Now they've reduced that down to twice a month. Twice a month is committed. Some of you are like, praise the Lord, I'm committed. But I want to challenge you quickly on this. Your waking hours in the course of a year are over 5,400. That's waking hours if you take eight hours a day out of sleep. If you come to church every Sunday and you plug into a life group, which max time is about two and a half hours a week, Church service on Sunday, life group one day during the week. Out of your waking hours in the course of a year, guess how much time that is? 2% of your waking hours. 
That's if you come every Sunday and are plugged into life group every week. You cut that down into half. It's under 1% of your time in church. Which I want to press you to if you have teenagers or you have kids, that's the same for them. And the statistics bear out that whatever you do, most likely they will do less than that when they're adults. Are you committed to the church? Are you committed to Jesus's church? You say, Pastor, I don't like commitment. You got a membership at Costco. You joined the Alumni Association at the University of Florida for some reason, right? <laughs> Isn't it amazing that we'll commit to everything except church? And hear me this morning, our kids and our grandkids see that. And they will imitate that if not do less than what they see us doing. Your presence and your investment in the local church. Giving your time, your talent, your treasures to what matters to the Lord within this local body of believers. One of the things about my great-grandfather that I heard when he passed away is the investment that he had made in his local church. A little country church not far from where his farm was. And person after person after person after person, after his funeral service was over, would come up and say things like, I remember when he paid for me to be able to go to camp. I remember when during a fundraiser, he offered to pay for me to go on a mission trip. I remember when he taught me in kids' Sunday school class. Let me ask you, the legacy that you are leaving, what investment are you making in the church? Here's the third question. Will you be known as someone with a white, hot, passion for Jesus's name and Jesus's fame to spread? Is there a burning desire within your heart, you who have experienced the grace of God in your life, for others to experience that in their lives as well? Are you living as an ambassador, a missionary, as you leave out of here week in and week Will there be people in heaven one day because you were faithful to share Jesus Christ with them? And here's the fourth question. Will you be known as someone with a deep concern for the next generation to know, love, and serve Jesus? I want you to live this. I want me to live this. But more than anything, I want the generations that follow us to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to serve Jesus.
Parents, that means your kids. Grandparents, that means your grandkids. If you're part of North River Church, on any given week, there's 130 plus kids, fifth grade and under, that are part of the ministry here. There's 65 to 70 teenagers that are part of the ministry here. They are the next generation, and are we willing to do whatever it takes for them to know, love, and serve Jesus? Part of that may be serving in kids' ministry. Shameless plug, right? Serving in student ministry. Giving so that students can go to camp. One of the ways in which we are blessed as a church family is we have the ability and the opportunity right before us to invest in the next generation. Do we have a deep concern to do that? I want to ask you if you would bow your heads with me this morning. Our worship team is going to come back up. And a little bit later on, we'll celebrate communion together. But as I worked through this text this week, One of the things that has been on my heart and on my mind, one of the things that I've been praying and asking God to do here at North River Church is to remind us as followers of Jesus that we are right now leaving a legacy behind us. And the haunting question that's been in my mind is, will it be a legacy worth having? So I want to ask you as a follower of Jesus this morning to take the few moments that we have before us as we sing to allow the Lord to search your heart today. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Where has the Lord pressed in on your heart this morning and said, this is a wake-up call for you in this particular area to once again recommit yourself to him? In our time together in prayer, as we sing, I want to encourage you as a parent or a grandparent to take this opportunity and to gather around if they're close by you or even if they're on the other side of the room, around your kids, your grandkids, and spend some time in prayer asking the Lord to work in their hearts and in their lives and in your heart and in your life. That the legacy you leave will be a legacy worth having. You may not have family here, but you may have someone around you that you could take this opportunity and pray for them. Maybe you want to hit your knees at the altar this morning and 
spend some time in prayer before the Lord. But use this opportunity to allow the Lord to search your heart, to encourage you, to challenge you, to think about the legacy you're leaving. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the warning lights. God, may it challenge us, convict us, encourage us. God, may we, as a church family, leave a godly legacy in this community. May our children and our grandchildren and the generations that follow them know that we love Jesus. And we want nothing more than for them to know and to love and to serve Jesus. We ask that in his name. Amen. Church family, would you stand? Our altar is open. If your family is close by, I want to encourage you to take this time and spend some time in prayer together. You come as the Lord leads.